filler in business books and audiobooks takes up time that you don't have. You're here because you want the golden nuggets from each book without all the BS. The more you learn, the more power you have to affect the world around you. This is the Cut the Crap Podcast. Never read a book again. And here's your host, Ryan Calagiri. What's going on, everybody? Hope you guys are having a great week and uh, are ready to break into a brand new business book this week. God knows we don't have very much time on our hands, so that's why you guys are here. Cut the Crap Podcast makes it easier for you to get that biz book a week in and under your belt. You guys, please do me a favor. Share this with your friends, your family, your peers, your coworkers. Let them know about Cut the Crap Podcast and encourage them to join the biz book a week movement. Reading a business book a week can do tremendous things for your career, your earning potential, for the amount of results that you get, your confidence, you guys. It's unreal. If you don't believe me, just try it. Seriously, just try it. Read a business book a week. And like I said, if you can't do it, that's why I'm here doing this podcast, to make it easier for you to get that business book a week in. I'm a millennial and I built this for millennials because I know from my, from my perspective, I don't have a lot of time. And I'm not saying that you know, millennials are anybody special, but we're, you know, we are a different group of people and we want results now and we want results fast. And, um, you know, we don't like to spend time doing things that waste our time and not to say that reading a book is a waste of time because it's not a waste of time, but it does take up a lot of it. And so if I can really condense that down, if I can get you the golden nuggets faster, then that's what I'm going to do. And so I'm the poor sucker. The, the millennial has to sit here and read through all the books and share it with all you guys. But Hey, you know what? It's, it's definitely worth the sacrifice if uh, I'm out there changing um, or, or helping you guys get through books a lot faster. And I know there's a lot of you already listening. I see the downloads and uh, they're increasing steadily throughout the weeks. And I do appreciate you guys sharing it, um, you know, commenting and leaving reviews. Um, I really, really do appreciate that and look forward to many more in the future. So let's get into it. This week, we're talking Purple Cow by Seth Godin. This book's been around for a little while. And I know that some of you have very likely heard of it. If you haven't, it's quite the treat. It's a great book that really combines the importance of product development and marketing. If you're reading this book, chances are you're reading it because you want to understand how you can transform your company, your products, your services into something that's not a commodity and into something that's truly remarkable. And what does remarkable mean? Remarkable means a number of different things, but essentially it comes down to just standing out, having people share what it is you talk about, people becoming passionate about it, people talking about it. Don't you want that? It makes marketing easier. It makes sales easier. That's what we're trying to do here. We're trying to create a purple cow. So let's get into it. Golden nugget number one, marketing is dead. Bold statement, very bold statement, but it's true. The marketplace is making it so hard for us to market what we do. You know, we go into a job and there's, you know, products and services, offers that we have to go out there and we're told that we have to go market this. We have to promote this. We have to generate leads for sales. And so we look at different tools, we read different blog posts, we follow different experts online to figure out ways to do this better. It's getting so hard. Well, it's not getting, it is hard to reach people because they ignore us by default. Satisfied customers, they're just less likely to tell their friends, their peers, because they're too busy. Yes, they like the result, but they're just too busy to go ahead and, and, and promote on our behalf. And there's just so much competition as well these days that if we don't have something that's truly unique, a product or a service that's truly different, it's tough to get any attention these days because we're just like everybody else. We're all selling commodities. 
And with all those points in mind, it really makes it difficult to market. And that's why this golden nugget, when Seth says marketing is dead, it's tough to argue with them. It's really tough to argue with them. The way that we look at marketing today is dead. And the way we look at marketing today is really a result of, you know, if we go back 100 years and we look at how advertising has changed things, you look at the pre-ad era, before ads existed. Those are the days where, you know, your neighbor told your friend about something and then people went and, got, went and bought it. You know, so I would go and tell George, you know, George is a friend of mine. So I would tell George, hey, George, you know, I worked with this great accountant. He helped me with my money. So George would work with him. And George is a friend with Jerry. Nice little Seinfeld reference. I don't know why that came up all of a sudden. George is a friend with Jerry. And George worked with this accountant. And now he tells Jerry. So now the accountant works with Jerry. And that's how things were done back in the day. Word of mouth drove opportunity. Word of mouth was how you did sales. It was how you did marketing. Then you got into the advertising area, you know, the era of the madmen. And then what happened there was you bought ads. These big companies would buy advertising. They would get the promotion. Consumers would see them. They would buy, which would then validate that for the companies. They would buy more ads. People would see those ads and they would buy more. So that beautiful cycle existed for a long time and it worked because there weren't that many channels. There weren't that many people advertising. And there weren't that many great products out there. So this worked really, really well. But then as the years went on, as the decades went on, more products came out. There was far more competition. Technology started advancing. There were far more communication channels. And people began to become overloaded with options. And there was so much noise, which is what brings us to where we are today. This whole process, the reason why I, I went through the, the process of sharing all this with you is because that philosophy, the philosophy of that successful advertising era is still ingrained in the minds of marketing and business folks today. This TV industrial complex still lives on in our minds. The idea that if we create a safe, ordinary product and just combine it with good marketing, good advertising, we'll get sales. And that's what we enter into every single day when we go into work as marketers. It's here's a product. It's your job to go out there and start the conversation, get people talking, and um, drive sales, drive opportunity for sales. It doesn't work that way. It's too tough. To bring it back to something that maybe, you know, I'm not too sure how, how familiar you are with the idea diffusion curve. You know, the idea diffusion curve where you have that big curve, you know, innovators, early adopters, early, late majority laggards. Another challenge here is that the majority of marketers, they're focusing on the early and late majority. And why? Because of the biggest group. So you think you figure, well, I'm going to go after the biggest group because the biggest group means that I'm going to have a higher likelihood that people are going to buy what it is that we're promoting. Not true. This is where marketing is dead. The new rules of marketing are not about going after that big group. The value of a group, you guys, it's, it's not in the size of the group. It's in the amount of influence of that group. So in this market, the early adopter, the innovators, those need to be our customers because they're going to influence the rest. The innovators, the early adopters, they're going to be the folks who are going to believe in this. They're going to become passionate about it. They're going to talk about it. And as they do that, the early and late majority, they're going to see that, they're going to pay attention, and then they're going to follow suit. But you can't just go to the early and late majority. This is going for anybody who's developing something new. If you're developing a new offer, a new product, a new service, those are the folks you really want to go after. Now, if you're just selling a commodity, good luck. I mean, hack it, hack away. You know, you're going to be in the trenches, you know, bloody, sweaty, 
it's going to be tough. It's not going to be easy for marketing folks who are um, promoting um, just your regular, you know, law services or accounting services, consulting services, or you're just promoting a product that's, you know, just like any other product on the shelf or any other product you can buy online. It's going to be tough. Yes, you're going to have some moderate success. You're going to have some decent successes. Yes, you're going to experience a little bit of growth, but that's not what we're after. We're after remarkable growth. We're after people talking about what it is we do. We're after generating a lot of motivation and passion, and we really want to get people behind it. And those are the case studies that we listen to, that we pay attention to, that we look at and we say, man, how do I create that in my own organization? Well, you can't if you just have an ordinary commodity. Now, the new rules of marketing are about creating remarkable products, not average products. And it's about marketing to the early adopters, to the innovators, not the majority. So that's something that sets things up. Marketing is dead. The new rules of marketing are here to stay. Golden nugget number two, get your customers or clients to change their behavior. So instead of trying to use your technology or you know, your product, your service, your expertise to make a better world for them, invite your customers, your clients to change their behavior to make your product, your service, your offer work better. Now, an example of this that Seth shared in the book was about a building in New York City. And this building had a number of floors and a lot of elevators, you know, maybe just 10 elevators, 50 floors, whatever it is. Usually what happens is people just sit there and they wait in line and they wait for the elevator to come. It just comes to the lobby and then they have to go through, you know, just the long process of waiting. You know, maybe there's somebody at floor 8 and floor 10 and floor 12 and floor 15 and floor 23 and floor 43 and floor 50. By the time you get up to your floor, it could have taken you, you know, three, four minutes. Sometimes it takes a long time. And so what this company decided to do that owns the elevators was implement a new system. And this system had people that are waiting for their elevators enter their desired floor where they're going up into a keypad. And what that keypad would do is it would direct them to the specific elevator that would take them directly to that floor. You see what I mean here? Now, that's very cool because what that does is it means that you can go from the lobby directly to your floor and then that elevator will come right back down to the lobby and take you directly to that floor. So let's say you're going up to floor 21 and there's three other people that are going to floor 21. It'll tell them, you know, take elevator nine and it'll take you directly to that floor. That's a cool innovation. I love that. That by itself will get people to change their behavior. Where instead of them just going and pressing the up button and then just waiting in line, hoping that, you know, there's not a whole bunch of people ahead of them that uh, to, in order to get to their floor, this actually gets them to change their behavior by entering their desired floor number in the keypad ahead of time. Pretty cool, right? A great example of how you can change customers' behavior to get them a better result. In this case, gets to the destination a lot faster. Love that. So now you're sitting there listening to me, okay, great, I, I, I sort of start to understand this example with the elevator, but I'm not, I don't have an elevator, I sell products and services. So I guess you know, the question is, how can you get your customers or clients to change their behavior to make something work better? I'll tell you, I had a tough time with this one. It was extremely complex, but after some thought, I, I figured out a different way to make this work. And essentially, it comes down to having a system. This piece about getting your customers to change behavior comes down to you supplying them with a system that makes them work smarter or has them change their behavior to get a better result. If you have a system that improves the way something is done, then you can prove it works better than the way they're currently doing it. Then you have a shot at changing behavior. So an example of this that I look at, it's um, you know for you, uh, you tech folks out there, Scrum. 
For those of you who don't know what Scrum is, it's an iterative, agile software development methodology for managing product development. It helps you get product development through faster. So what you'll find is you'll you often get consulting firms go into companies and teach them how to develop faster and more efficiently by changing how they develop. Scrum is a way that gets people to change their behavior. And it's a system. It's a, a set of tools. It's a way of working. It's a way of doing things differently. So if you want to get your customers to change their behavior, you have to develop a system that shows them this is going to get you a better result. And that's a great way to develop one purple cow. You know, I realize I haven't actually taken a second to explain what the purple cow is all about. So in the book, Purple Cow, Seth talks about when you go driving down a road and there's a whole bunch of farmland and you see nothing but brown cows, a lot of black and white cows, some black cows. And all of a sudden, out of all of that, you see a purple cow. If you just look at a field of black and black and white and brown cows, nothing stands out. Nothing stands out. But if you saw a purple cow, it's like, wow, look at that thing. You're going to take a picture of it. You're going to talk to people about it. You're going to recognize it. You're going to stop in traffic to take a look at that cow because it stands out. It's remarkable. And that right there is a great example of what the marketplace looks like. The marketplace is filled with just regular cows, brown cows, black and white cows, and it's just the way the marketplace looks. There are very few purple cows, very few companies that stand out. We're trying to create a product, a service, a company that stands out from the status quo. That's dramatically different. That's remarkable. That makes customers want to come and buy your your product, your service, engage with your company. It makes them want to spread and talk about what it is they've received. It makes them want to share it with their their peers. That's the kind of thing we're going after here. And that's the reason why you would read this book is because you're looking at ways to build something remarkable into your company. Now, that's pretty cool. Golden nugget number three, cut your losses on dying products and services. So if you don't see a bright future where the marketplace is going to be really excited about what it is you're doing, your product or your service, it's time to realize the game has changed. The game has changed and you need to stop investing in a commodity. It's time to make a decision and say, are we going to reinvent this or are we going to kill it? If you're going to kill it, you have to make a good decision to say, listen, we're going to kill it by this date and to take its place, we're going to create new product or new service X, Y, or Z. Now, you don't have to necessarily take it off your shelves or take it off your website. You can slowly transition that as you create something else that's maybe more beneficial, something that's going to take its place. This happens all the time. I mean, I look at a company like Basecamp, for example, where Basecamp, a fantastic company, you know, where they've been able to truly innovate. And they, by themselves, are a case study. You know, they started off as a website company. Um, The website company was called 37 Signals, and they built a multitude of different products, one of them being Basecamp. A lot of them were flops. Basecamp was a success. So now that Basecamp really took off and users adopted it, they changed their company. Their company is now called Basecamp. It's not called 37 Signals anymore. And they continuously refine Basecamp, make it better. They close one one version down. They open up a new version. I think they're on version 3 right now, which is just so much better than what they previously had. But they went and they created something new because they realized, you know what, website design? I mean, hell, there's a million people out there plus you know, who can do this stuff. We have to do something different. So the example that Seth shares, he shares an example on Tide. Tide being that, you know, laundry detergent, the Procter & Gamble product. Tide's successful because it was one of the first products of its kind. And through a combination of good TV ads, amazing distribution, and of course the product itself, it did well. However, with the death of advertising, advertising became less important 
and obviously more expensive. And distribution became most important. Now, most people don't know this, but Walmart is responsible for one-third of Tide sales. One-third. So if there was no Walmart, or if Walmart didn't sell Tide, Tide's dead. Tide's dead. So if you're Procter & Gamble, what do you do? If you're Procter & Gamble, you need to start focusing on creating more radical and interesting new products that satisfy the early part of the curve, the innovators, the early adopters. Now, you might be sitting there listening and saying, I'm not Procter & Gamble. We don't have that kind of money. We don't have that kind of distribution. We don't have that kind of influence. How does that benefit me? So translate that story to every other company. What do you do? Same thing. You need to start investing more in developing new products and new services. And while it's easy to say that, the question is how? All right, here goes. Let's try to, let's try to get this one under here really quickly. So start by identifying what your organization needs in the way of new offerings for the market. So right now you're looking for ideas. So what I want you to do is write on a piece of paper, I'm looking for ideas on dot, dot, dot. What are you looking for ideas about? And then the next stage, once you do that, write down three or four areas of exploration that you would like a team to look further into to learn more. So for example, let's say you are a managing partner or you're an associate or partner working in a law firm and you were looking for ways to build technology into your service mix. So on that piece of paper, you would write, I'm looking for ideas on a new standalone technology that we can begin to offer as a product to our clients. For your areas of exploration, you might write, I'm interested in um, uh, further exploration on standalone software as a service platforms as one. Uh, a second exploration area could be, um, I'm interested in exploring more about problems faced throughout the entire law profession, both internally and externally. So you see, that's the first starting point. Next, you would select a team of people from within the organization, from various areas in the organization. And the reason for that is that you want a large variety of um, different mindsets, different perspectives, different age groups, because everyone's going to bring a different perspective. And those different perspectives are what's going to bring you greater uh, variety when it comes to creating new ideas. So once you have those people, you have them looking at different exploration areas, look for inspiration from customers from competitors, from unrelated industries, from patents, you know, from future trends, from industry experts. Use those as inspirations. And dig into each area. See what you can find in relation to the exploration areas and the mission you're posed with. So, for example, you know, you're looking at uh, standalone software. Okay, well, I might look at, uh, if you're in law, you might look at marketing. You might want to look at, you know, competitors, people who are already doing that. You might want to look at patents to see what sort of patents exist already um, for types of software uh, as a service platform. You might want to look at the future of technology in law. You might want to look at, uh, you know, what certain experts are saying, you know, experts in the field of law. What are they saying and how is technology being used in law? So once you fill your brain with all of that awesome information, you're ready to create. You're ready to start innovating. So with your team, take some of the most disruptive information that you found and force yourselves to find ways to make something from it. Now, this is the most difficult part as you're creating ideas. And while this is a great method for driving front-end innovation, there's more to it. But this is really just a quick introduction to how it can be done. So use some of that system itself, that some of that systems thinking to help you in creating you know, a new innovation, something that's going to get you off on the right foot 
um, exploring new potential areas for that. If you guys have questions about that, you know, I'm always available. If you guys have, you know, want to have a conversation about it, feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn or Twitter or my email, um, you know, ryan.calajury at me.com. And uh, I'd be happy to talk to you guys about it a little bit more to give you guys a hand and um, steer you in the right direction, essentially. But the takeaway there is if you're selling a commodity, it's time to really cut your losses. It's time to let the product die and focus on creating a new purple cow, something that's remarkable, something that the majority of the marketplace maybe will scoff at, but something the innovators, the early adopters will say, finally, we've been waiting for this for years. That's the kind of stuff you need to create. Golden nugget number four, ideas that spread win. Ideas that win are those that a segment of the marketplace adopt. They're passionate about. They talk about. They write about. They recommend. Those are ideas that spread. And those ideas win. To create ideas that win, you can't make something for everyone. And every one type of product doesn't speak specifically to anyone, which means that you're going to be really easy to ignore. Super easy to ignore because you're not talking specifically to anyone. You're not talking about my specific needs. You really have to focus on a small target group of people. And I'll talk more to this uh, in the next golden nugget. It's about niching. A lot of folks like to go after the large market, the biggest piece of the pie. They like to go after everybody. That's counterintuitive. It doesn't make sense. Back in the day, you know, it was all about let's go after the majority of people because the majority of people will see this. So they'll, they'll, you know, they'll buy into it. Nowadays, the new world order for marketing, it's about going after smaller groups, those innovators, those early adopters. Those are the people that you're trying to win over because they'll convince the rest of the folks. So the question is, how do you create an idea that spreads and an idea that's going to help you win? I'll give you guys a great way to set yourself up for success if you're trying to spread an idea in the hopes that it takes over. First things first, you have to figure out how easy it is to spread your idea. Now, talk about all these things with with your peers, with customers, with people who can provide some objective, real responses to you. How easy is it for this to spread, this product, this service? Is it boring? If it's boring, no one's going to talk about it. Does this product or service require us to have an NDA? Um, If so, obviously, no one's going to spread it. Uh, Is it too complex? Is what you do too complex that it's difficult to spread? It's difficult to talk about it. Figure out how easy it is to spread your idea first. Second, figure out how often people will share it within their network. So again, is this something that people can talk about on a weekly basis? Is this a one-time transactional thing? Is this something that's going to continuously create new stories for them, new results on an ongoing basis? You got to understand if this is a one-shot deal or if this is going to be something continuous. How often will people share it with their network? Obviously, the best bet is to have something that will continuously bring about new stories and encourage people to talk more about it. Next, understand, again, because we're focusing on a smaller group here, we're focusing on the innovators, the early adopters, figure out how close the group is that you're targeting. So how close are they? Do they talk often? Do they have great reputations? Um, you know, Do they have great rapport with one another? Your groups will usually talk to each other. And you're not going to hit them all at once. But those innovators, those early adopters, they're all going to be in a group. So you want to make sure that they have an opportunity to talk to each other. Do they belong to certain groups, associations? Do they hang out in the same spots? Figure out where that group hides out. Figure out where they go. Understand that target. And finally, 
you have to understand if it's a fad or if it's something that truly has legs that you believe will be around for a while. Because there's a lot of things out there. I know a lot of people start these new ideas, these new, you know, uh, um, I don't know what you want to call them, initiatives perhaps, and it's just a fad. So around Christmas time or certain holidays, you know, you'll see people on um, – uh, on Twitter, you know, you upload your picture and, uh, you know, it's sort of, what, what do you call it? the web, uh, not the jibjab.com type of thing where you upload your picture, your face, and it puts your face on a bunch of dancing elves or whatever. It's something that people do, you know, for two or three weeks around the holidays. And then after that, it's dead. That's a fad. It's not something that's going to be here to stay that, you know, it's going to be promoted for a while that has legs. So understand if what you're doing is a fad or if it's something that's going to be around for a while. So put your ideas through these questions, through these you know, little frames, and you'll get a better idea as to which ideas have a greater chance of catching on and spreading. Now, I know this is difficult. I know that asking those four questions doesn't exactly give you an idea that spreads, an idea that's going to help you win. I understand that. If this were easy, everybody would be doing it, but that's not the case. It really comes down to passion. It comes down to, un- oh God, you said passion. Thank you so much for that. I hate that word. I don't know why I said that, but you know, you gotta be, you obviously have to love what you do, which will help you to obsess on it. You're, to obsess on it, you're gonna learn more about it. You're gonna read more about it. You're going to ask people more questions about it. You're gonna be more curious. You're gonna be more driven to do more discovery, to do more research. Those are the kinds of people that are gonna create the ideas that spread. But as you start down that path, ask yourself those four questions. Is it easy to spread? How often will people share it? How close is the group you're targeting? Is this a fad or is it something that has legs? It'll help you sort of crystallize a little bit more and help you think a little bit deeper about what it is you're creating. Ideas that spread win. That's the takeaway here. So if I can give you guys you know, a little bit of help to help you figure out if it's an idea that spreads, then great. That's a fantastic takeaway. Use it to your advantage if you're in that space right now. Golden nugget number five. To win, you have to niche. Now, I was just having a conversation with an entrepreneur this week and the difficulties that come about when you're forced to make a decision on where you want to focus your attentions on. It's so tough. I've talked to a lot of different CEOs over the years and a lot of them refuse to niche. Nah, you know, I don't want to do that. You know, this is not a one, one, one type of industry product or service. This is something that applies to everybody. Well, we know what happens when you go after everybody, right? You become inefficient. You're easy to ignore because your communications are generic. Nobody really cares about you because you're not making an effort to really give a damn about them. And while people might argue with me and say, oh, how dare you say we don't care about our clients? We absolutely care about our clients. Yeah, you do, but guess what? You don't care enough to focus intentionally on them. Focusing in on a specific niche, on a type of person, on a type of industry, a specific marketplace, to win you have to niche. And the importance of picking a specific niche can be understated. You really need to pick an underserved niche to target and to dominate in your marketplace. A story that Seth tells is about a gentleman. He bought a really crappy looking motel in San Francisco and, um, you know, it didn't really, you know, attract a lot of attention. The, the previous owner was just looking to sell it because it was a dive. So he bought it. And what he decided to do was invest some money into it. You know, he brought in some, you know, um, uh, what do you call it? Just cutting edge artists to paint the hotel. And they even painted the inside of the pool with some really cool, you know, unique looking art. 
and, uh, you know, put in some really hip magazines, different types of decor that made it really hip. And then he focused on a specific niche. He focused on attracting rock and roll stars to stay there, which they did after a few months of promoting to this segment. By intentionally ignoring the mass market, this man created a rock and roll motel in the center of San Francisco that people will go out of their way to stay at. This hotel, by the way, it's, it's called the Phoenix. It's a very cool hotel. You can go ahead and search it up. Very cool type of uh, uh, theme on it. And like I said, it attracted a lot of rock and roll stars and people who love rock and roll will go ahead and stay there because that's the kind of people he's going after. If he went out to the mass market, it would have died. It wouldn't have survived. But because he focused on a very specific niche, he was successful. Another example is a company called Zespri. Now, Zespri has a new type of kiwi. Now, everyone loves kiwis. You know, the fuzzy brown outer, outer um, you know, shell with the inner you know, green core. A new type of kiwi that Zespri developed it's an, has an edible peel. So, very cool. So, again, what Zespri decided to do was they followed in the same type of line that uh, the owner of the Phoenix Hotel did. Didn't market to the masses, which is what most companies do. Instead, they focused on a niche, and that niche market was Latino foodies that shop at upscale Latino grocery stores. They found an underserved produce buyer who would be willing to take a chance on a new kind of fruit. So without any advertising, they got their fruit in front of a lot of people who tried it, liked it, told others about it, who then continued to buy it. So now you might be thinking, okay, well, you know, how much can they possibly grow from this type of, you know, small niche? Well, last year, Zespri managed to sell more than $100 million worth of golden kiwi fruit. Crazy, right? I mean, I've never heard of it. But that was their focus. Their focus was to get into an underserved market, get a very specific niche that would talk about it. Again, if you put this towards you know, the questions that I asked earlier, is it, how easy is it going to be to spread your idea? Well, <clears throat> they're buying fruit. They're going to share their fruit. Easy to spread. You know, how often will people share it with their network? It's more or less a guess, but, you know, if people go buy, you know, a few pieces of fruit, they'll bring it to work. They'll bring it, you know, you know in with their family. It'll be fairly easy to spread a piece of fruit. How close is this group you're targeting? Well, I don't know. You know, they're Latinos. So, you know, smaller communities, I'm, I'm sure, you know, they, they, they talk a lot. You know, they have great reputations with each other. Yeah, sure. Is this a fad or something that has legs? Well, is fruit a fad? Well, no, I don't think so. I think if fruit is something that's here to stay. So, yeah, you know, if you look at all four of those questions and you put that, you know, the Zespri fruit idea through that, yes, then you know what? You can look at that and say this potentially has is an idea that can spread. Pretty cool, right? The idea around niching is so tough and so many companies fight it. They, they just fight it so hard because it's, it's, you know, to them it's counterintuitive. Why would I focus on a smaller group of people when there's so many more people who can benefit from this? It's just easier to ignore you. It's so much easier to ignore you. It's so easy to get caught up in that mess. But he, think about it this way. If you have a product or a service and you focus on the broad market, how deep will your communications be? I always use this as an example. The old magnifying glass thing, you know, where you, you know, you turn the magnifying glass, you know, to a specific angle. And if it gets uh, small enough, the light that goes through the, um, uh, the magnifying glass, it'll burn a piece of paper. Now, if that light that comes to the magnifying glass is too spread out, it's not even going to heat up the paper. You have to focus on it to burn through the paper to create something that just drives right through. Same is true in business. Same is true with your communications. If you're focusing on everybody, 
How are your blogs going to be written? Are you going to be blogging about something very generic? I'll give you an example. One of the Global Mail articles that I wrote, um, you know, I'll write some Global Mail articles and test some different headlines with my editor. And one of the ones that I wrote was um, uh, how law and accounting firms uh, fail to innovate. That was the best article that I've ever written. Uh, well, the best article that I've ever written. I don't know if there's any best or, or worst, but um, it was the one that got the most attention. And why? Because it was focused on lawyers and accountants. And so that one was shared more than any other article that I've ever written. It's the one that had the most eyeballs on it, the one that had the most page views, because it was focused. It was highly focused. And I encourage all businesses to do the exact same thing. If you have a specific niche, you can talk to that niche. You can understand that niche better. You focus your marketing. You focus your sales efforts. It just makes running the company so much easier that way. But hey, if you want to keep going on the path you're going on and you want to keep going after the majority of the, 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 the marketplace and hope that, you know, well, the bigger our numbers, the bigger our marketplace, then the more successful we'll be. And I wish you good luck because uh, you're going to need it. So this is a pretty cool golden nugget here. Golden nugget number six, why all companies don't follow this advice. And it's an honest question. The reason companies don't follow this approach, the approach of the, creating the purple cow, is because they're scared. They're scared of failure. They're scared of being criticized. They're scared of being too different. They're scared of going down, you know, something that, you know, it's not guaranteed. You know, what we're doing right now, it's, it's not great, but it's working. They're scared of the unknown. A great way to avoid all of this fear is to do a few things. First, realize that failure is okay, as long as if you fail quickly. This is why it's important to do weekly cycles of learning when you're coming up with a new idea, a new service, or a new product. Those weekly cycles of learning through iterations or sprints, by following those types of, of systems, methodologies, it makes it easier to learn as much as possible about your idea before you invest too much into it. Second, grow some thicker skin and don't worry what the haters are going to say. There are so many people out there who will criticize you, who will hate what you do, especially if you're doing something remarkable. Creating something remarkable, something that you know goes against the status quo, a lot of people won't like it. And I know from firsthand experience, this upsets a lot of people, and they will do what they have to do to sort of get away from that. Oh, we don't want people talking about us negatively. Ah, that's, that's not good for us. Who said it's not good for you? People who don't like it, that's fine. That's great. There's a ton of people who don't like certain things that I say, and I don't really care. I don't really care. And that's what I say, grow some thicker skin. And realize that what you're doing, it's not going to be for them. It's going to be for the people who want what you do. It's going to be for the people who want to listen to what you have to say. It's going to be for the people who want to buy what you're selling. There will always be someone that criticizes you if you're doing remarkable things. If you let those people shape your decisions, you have no hope. You don't. Stop letting people push you around, tell you what you should do, and start doing what you believe you need to do. The takeaway here is focus on doing what you need to do to win. And don't worry about what the critics have to say. They don't matter as much as you think they do. And the third point to take away here, the reason why companies don't follow this advice is because, again, it comes down to being scared. And if you're scared of being too different, then you need to ask yourself if you're ready for this kind of work. Are you ready for it? Are you ready for developing the remarkable? If not, be ready for a lot of pain in your future. You know, it's funny. It's interesting. I actually heard from a CEO, CEO of um, a supplement company, actually. He once told me that people often make decisions based off of either inspiration or desperation. 
I'll tell you, it's much better to get in on that inspiration kick than desperation. So if you're scared of being too different, you need to ask yourself why you're too scared. Are, are you ready for this? Don't wait until you have to change, until desperation kicks you in the ass and says, either you got to change or you're going to die. If you're inspired to change, you say, you know what? I want a better life for myself. I want a better company. I want to get a better result for my marketplace. I want to do something differently. Start. Get off on that kick, on the inspiration kick. Go through the short-term pain for the long-term pleasure. Because I'll tell you right now, what you're going through, if you decide, you know what? I I don't really want to play in this game. I kind of want to play it safe. Maybe that's giving you, you know, the pleasure that you think you're going to get. But I'll tell you right now, it's going to be more painful in the long run. It's going to make sales harder. It's going to make marketing harder. It's going to be hard on your margins. It's going to be tough. Is that pleasure? No, that's brutal. That's just extended pain. You know, short-term pain for long-term pleasure. Every decision we make is emotional. So your reasons for not doing this, the reason that most companies don't do this is they're scared, they don't have thick skin, and they're not too sure if this is right for them. It's time to decide right now that if you want to stand out in the marketplace, you have to create something remarkable. And you have to be ready to deal with the critics out there who are going to put you down, who are going to say, ah, you can't do this, it's a stupid idea, it's never going to work. That's reality, you guys. That's just the way it's going to be. So if you're not one of those companies, if you don't have that mindset, then you have a fantastic advantage over those who don't. And again, maybe you're younger. Maybe why don't you get out of that, that, that sort of deadly cycle If you're sick and tired of people always telling you, no, you know, we can't do this. You know, I don't want to be criticized. Go and start your own thing. Think about that. What is it you can be passionate about and start your own thing and come to your business every single day with that mindset of not being fearful, not worrying what the critics have to say and knowing damn well that what you need to do is create more purple cows, more products, more services, more offers that are remarkable. It's your life, you guys. And it's so cliche, but you only have one life. Don't waste it working for a company that uh, you know, doesn't believe in creating the remarkable and is just happy with keeping its status quo. You, know, you guys do whatever you feel is best for you, your families, uh, your life. But for those of you who want to do more, then you know what? Do something remarkable. That's where you play. Golden nugget number seven. Change approaches that follow the leader. So what are you doing in your organization that follows what the leader in the marketplace is doing? Following the leader is not an approach that's going to make you a leader. And there's a lot of companies out there that say, you know what, let's not try and recreate the wheel. Let's look at what other people have done and follow their lead. Well, it's funny. An example that Seth uses in Purple Cow is about Canadian geese that fly south for the winter. People look at Canadian geese that fly in a V formation uh, you know, to make it to their destination. They say, well, look, you know, the leader of, of the, um, the flock of geese, you know, he leads the charge and all the other geese just follow suit and they make it to their destination. It's a great, um, you know, a, a great example of you know, what you can do by following the leader. No, it doesn't work that way. That, in fact, is a risk-averse strategy as a way to get to your destination. Following the leader will never get you to where you need to get. Following the leader doesn't work. Because if all you do is follow other people, follow the leader, you'll never know what it takes to make it on your own by taking an uncharted path and doing something no one else has ever done. If you want to win, you need to learn to lead. There are so many companies out there that failed because they just didn't know how to deal with market pressures. You need to get yourself in the habit 
of dealing with market pressures, of creating new products, new services, trying new things out, going through the pain, feeling the criticism from the marketplace. You need to go through that process yourself. If you don't go through that process, then you're just constantly going to be at the whims of the marketplace. You're always going to be looking outwards and you're going to be saying, oh, what, what, are, they, what are they doing? And oh, what are they doing over there? And maybe we can take something from over there. No, no you got to stop that. You got to start looking inwardly and building from the inside out and allow yourself to be the leader that other people follow. How often does it happen where you come up with a great idea? And I don't know if, if you've ever experienced this, but you know, I've come up with a great campaign idea or you know, a great slogan or a great new product or a service or a type of offer. And it doesn't take long for the marketplace to follow suit. They follow right on the heels. And you know what? People look at that and they say, damn it. You know, how do we protect ourselves from people copying us? Hey, you know what? I take that as a compliment. And it's so easy to say it's a compliment, but it is. Because guess what? While they're following me, they're always 10 steps behind because they don't know what the next move is. It's a chess game and I'm always ahead of them. They can copy me all they want, but because I'm first to market and because I can market better than them, they'll, I'll be more successful. And because I have the vision, I know where this is going. They're just waiting to see what I'm going to do and to see what direction I'm going to take and they're going to follow me again. That's cool. Do that all you want. But people are going to get to know me for the leader because I'm going to be the first one to talk to them about it. I'm going to be the first one to ask them about it. I'm going to be the first one in the market to show them this new product, this new service, this new offer. And because of that, they're going to get to know me better. So you have to learn to lead on your own and stop looking at the leader of the marketplace and doing that. I mean, you know, following the leader, it's, it's a, it's, it is a risk averse strategy. I know a lot of firms do that because they just don't have the time to innovate on their own and Again, you got to ask yourself, is this a game that you really want to play in? I mean, if you're in the commodity business and you want to stay there, then by all means, stay there. But again, the whole purpose of this book, the reason why you would pick it up, the reason why you'd read it is because you're sick and tired of playing in the commodity space and you want to create something remarkable. Okay, cool. If you want to do that, stop following the leader. Start leading yourself. All right, almost there. Golden nugget number eight. Marketing isn't just about the sizzle. It's the steak. So Seth tells a really great story about a paint company called Dutch Boy. Now, Dutch Boy figured out that to give their customers a better experience when painting, they would change their packaging. So instead of the awkward cans, you know the stupid cans where you know you got to open it up with either that specific tool or that butter knife. I never buy the tool. I always use a butter knife to crack open a paint, you know, can of paint. You know, it's awkward. It's, you know, it's I don't want to say it's tough to pour, but you know, I think they could do it better. So that's what Dutch Boy did. And in fact, what they did was they created an easy pour container. Um, you know, with a handle on it, think of it like a milk jug kind of thing. Um, and it made an easier uh, experience for them, you know, a screw type cap that, you know, was easier to take off and put on. So very cool type of, you know, change in packaging. You know, it was uh, obviously it, it gave them great results, right? I mean, what do you think? I mean, you change the packaging, you think people are going to buy it more? Well, in fact, sales grew exponentially. So did their distribution and so did their price. They increased price. They got more distribution and sales grew. Huge. That's awesome. And this is a perfect example of marketing done right, where the marketer changed the product first and not the ad. But that's not how things are done these days. These days, you know, you get orders from the CEO or a VP or somebody in sales who tells you, you know what, marketing, we're having a really tough challenge. We need to create some sizzle. So do something great with content, you know, put out a great white paper, uh, you know, do something great with social media, come up with an awesome social media strategy, get people talking about our stuff. That's all the sizzle. Marketing done right focuses on the steak. It builds marketing into the product itself. 
Again, this is contrary to how people look at marketing. Marketing by itself was just, you know, about taglines and promotions. No, marketing done right builds the actual marketing into the product itself. What do you mean by that? Well, if I go to a shelf, a paint store or Walmart or wherever people who sell paint, Home Depot, you go there and you take a look and you see a whole bunch of cans, 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 cans. Oh, hold on a second. It almost looks like a milk jug full of paint. Screw top cap. Cool. It's a little bit more, but the color's nice. You know, bright red sort of branding on it. I love it. Marketing is built into the product itself. That's awesome. And that's what Purple Cow is trying to get at. That's the big takeaway here. The big takeaway is marketing needs to be built into the product. And there's, you know, one more golden nugget where I'm going to go into a little bit more detail on that. And I left that one to last for a reason. Um, But this is really just the first introduction to it. If you want to grow... If you want to get people talking about what it is that you do, if you want to have an idea, a product or a service that spreads, you need to have marketing as part of that conversation. So if you have product developers or offering managers, you know, if it's a product company or a service company, you need to incorporate marketing into that. And marketing, you need to play a role where you're not just sitting there saying, okay, well, this is how we're going to do a social media strategy for it. No, 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 no. How are you going to get people talking about this? How are you going to get consumers or customers or clients to look at this, to share this? What's remarkable about this? Now, granted, that's a really tough hill to climb. It's a tough hill to climb. I've climbed it many times, you guys, and have left many organizations, have quit many clients because people just don't get it. But that's the path that we're on. If that's the path that you choose, like I said, you got to get some thick skin. A lot of companies out there, they're not ready for it. But if you find a company that's ready for it, then you as a role in marketing, man, you guys have a lot of fun things coming up ahead. That's for sure. So again, marketing done right. You look at the product first, not the ad. Golden nugget number nine. The power of taglines is instrumental to success. There's a lot of marketing people out there that try really hard to create a slogan a statement, a value proposition, a unique selling proposition, whatever you want to call it, in the hopes that it'll compel the marketplace to buy. This is the wrong thinking. Yes, you need a slogan, but your slogan should be built into the product itself, making it easy to come up with. So if that's not clear, what I mean by that is, first, you need to know what you're creating a slogan for. You're doing it to make your product, your service, or your company easy to communicate as it spreads. There's a lot of people out there who spend a lot of time, like I said, coming up with the creative, the cute, the clever, like those don't work. I don't get those, you know, and there was a big trend of people coming up with, you know, the three, the three line slogan, you know, for example, it's, you know, um, uh, a dot B dot C dot. It's like, ah, who gives a damn really, you know, you know, I take a lot of flack for this too, but some of the world's greatest taglines or supposed greatest taglines like Nike, just do it. When I see the Nike, just do it slogan. I don't think anything of it. It doesn't invoke anything for me. If I have to, I'll have to manufacture those feelings and those emotional connections to the brand myself. But guess what? I don't care enough to do that. If I talk to somebody in ad who, who stands for it, they want to argue, they want to play the contrary, and they'll say, oh, well, just do it means, you know, when you, you're in bed and, you know, you want to get the, uh, you know, the, the, the inner weakness out of you, you know, you just get up and you just do it. You just go to the gym. You know, you don't want to run that 4K, but you just do it. You just go. Oh, okay, great. Thank you so much for that explanation. I appreciate that. But guess what? If I look at an ad, I don't give a damn. 
Nike isn't successful because they have a tagline. Nike's successful because they have distribution. They've been around for a long time and they have millions upon millions of dollars backing them. When you're a small to medium-sized organization, what do you do? Do you expect the tagline to do the exact same thing for you? No, get out of here. It's not going to do that. A lot of companies think they're going to come up with the next just do it. And they're like, ooh, ooh, guys, high five all around the boardroom table. We figured it out. People are really going to resonate with this and people are going to love it. And guess what? Nothing happens because it's cute. It's clever. You guys enjoyed it. You guys thought a lot about it. But guess what? The marketplace doesn't give a damn about you. They don't care. So do a tagline right. First, you need to know why you're creating it. You're creating it because you want to make it easy for your product or service or your company uh, to be communicated as it spreads. So for example, the Leaning Tower of Pisa, it's easy to explain. It's a leaning tower. Hooters is easy to explain to people because it's the name. And it's the logo. People go there for that reason. You know, I, I highly doubt people go there for the shrimp. Maybe some people do. I don't know. Tiffany's and Louboutins, those are easy to spread because they have recognizable features. You know, the beautiful blue box or the red bottoms. It's easy to spread that. They build it into the product itself. It's important to cut the crap when making slogans or taglines and ensure that your marketing is the product. No marketer transformed Hooters. No marketer transformed the Leaning Tower of Pisa. The marketing is built right into it. Now, this one's a little bit tough because people, you know, they like to be cute and creative with their taglines, but um, it's tough if you're selling a commodity. Let's just face it. A lot of you guys out there creating taglines and, you know, you're responsible for creating value propositions and things like that for commodities, and it's tough. I, I get it. That's why you have a tough time with it. It's so much easier coming up with a slogan or a tagline for something that's truly remarkable. Because the remarkableness, the, the piece that makes it remarkable, is the actual product itself. So you don't have to look too far. You don't have to be too creative. All you have to do is just tell it like it is. What is it? And it's going to make it easy for people to communicate what it is. All right, and to wrap things up, golden nugget number 10. The number one reason why your company is probably failing. If a company is failing, it's probably because they're doing too much in the business and not on the business. You've heard that before. They're too busy running a business, running a company, and they're not marketing a product or a service. It's just that simple. The responsibility of marketing back in the day, which really hasn't changed that much, is to promote. You know, marketing promotes, sales sells, engineering, or offering management develops. That's just what it was. Marketing should be at the forefront of every company. You're not in business to run a business. You're in business to market a product or a service. And if you're not marketing a product or service, guess what? Money's not coming in. Net new revenue is not coming in. Marketing to prospects you know, is important, but also marketing to your current accounts, your current clients, your current customers. That's also important. That's marketing too. Now, the companies that succeed today are those companies that ingrain marketing directly into what it is they do. You know, whether it's a product company or a service company, you know, it's so easy to, to focus on product companies. And I know, you know, you service companies out there, you say, ah, well, you know, how do we ingrain marketing into, you know, law, for example? Well, I'll look at um, uh, a few companies, actually. I'll look at, uh, you know, you can look at Cognition out of Toronto or another company, a great friend of mine, uh, Peter Karianassis, runs a company called Conduit Law. And uh, again, you look at something that they're doing, they're building marketing into the product itself, into law. Law is one of those things people say, you can't change law. Law is what it is. You're not going to change it. It's, it's you know, it, it won't change because people are always going to need law. It's not going to change. BS. Law changes. And a company like Conduit and, uh, uh, you know, a forward-thinking person like Peter Karianassis is proof of that right there. 
They're changing the way that law looks. They're changing the way that people perceive law. They're changing the way that their lawyers behave. They're developing technologies that, you know, they're, uh, that lawyers want, their customers want. They're changing the face of law. And they're building that right into their product. They don't have to sit there and come up with a unique slogan that says, you know, um, more clients and 100 years of experience and, you know, the most experienced lawyers in the field. Like, who gives a damn, man? Like, it's all commodities. It's, who cares? Lawyers, you know, it's all, a, you know, a big flexing game. You know, I think about bodybuilders, you know, in, in, in Venice Beach, you know, where they're all sitting there flexing and who's got the biggest arms. And that's how lawyers do it. You know, who's got the, the highest space? Who's got the most expensive real estate? Who's got the most lawyers, you know? Uh, it's just who cares, man? You have these new law firms out there who are changing the game because they're focused on marketing a new type of service, a new type of form or new new form of law. That to me, it's super exciting. So check that out, Conduit Law. I mean, that's a nice little plug for my good buddy there, Peter Carey Nassis. But they're doing some great things there. I mean, those are some unknown things for services. But I mean, look at companies like Virgin Airlines or Starbucks. I mean, you don't see have to see a lot of advertising for them because they build marketing into the product itself. You go to Virgin Airlines, you know you're on a Virgin Airlines flight. If you're in Canada, you know you're looking at WestJet. WestJet itself builds their marketing into their product. It's into their service itself. Starbucks... I just recently started seeing more ads for Starbucks, but Starbucks by itself, I mean, you go there, you're going to get the experience of getting that coffee, the ambiance when you're there buying it, how it makes you feel. Their product is their marketing. Their marketing is their product. It's the best way to do it. So all these examples, they're all building marketing into their products, into their services, which speaks for themselves. So again, the number one reason why your company is failing is because you're not focusing enough on marketing. Now, yes, am I, am I biased? Perhaps. I mean, I'm a marketing guy at heart. But this isn't me telling you this. I mean, this is me supporting Seth Godin. And Seth Godin is an incredibly brilliant man. And there's a multitude of examples that I've shared with you today that show you how important it is to build marketing into your actual product, into your service, into your company, so that you don't have to have marketing as an afterthought. It's not about creating something crappy or something mediocre and then saying, marketing, come on in. It's your job to promote this piece of crap. No offense, of course, but that's, that's the way it is these days. And it's got to change. It's got to change. All right, and there we have it. The Purple Cow by Seth Godin. Take it from the perspective of somebody who wants to create remarkable products, remarkable services, remarkable promotions, remarkable companies. This book is for you. I hope you guys enjoy the golden nuggets. Again, I look back at the golden nuggets and when I read them again, I say, you know, this, those nuggets essentially help capture the essence of what the purple cow is about. If you guys want to read more, I mean, there's sure there's other stories in there. Pick up the book yourselves. Um, but again, it's all about reading a business book a week. Guys, this is what we're here to do. We're creating a habit of reading a book a week. And because of that, we're going to become better for it. Okay. Please encourage others to follow along with you to help create that habit to help create that support group of people who read every single week. And you know what? Guess what? If you're not into reading books every week, I wasn't really into that before, but you know, I ended up doing it anyways. And that's why I started this podcast because I know a lot of you guys just don't have the time for it. So if you don't have the time for it, I'm here every single week with a brand new book for you to help you get in your biz book a week. Feel free to use the hashtag on Twitter, hashtag biz book a week. Let me know what you're reading. Tell me what you thought of the podcast. Tell me what you thought about the content. Let me know. 
engage with me. I want to hear from you guys. And uh, again, I want to hear about the people who are out there. I'm going to start sending out the mind maps as well soon too. I'm really excited about that. That's a really cool innovation for me to um, capture these things. And again, it's, it's easy to listen to these things, but hey, you want to make it easier on yourself, build a library of mind maps so that you can go back and reference this material. And uh, when I start sending them out to you guys, you'll see that. To sign up for the mind maps, you guys have to send me your email to do that. Go to um, bizbookaweek.com. Just sign up there. I don't need all your information. All I need is your first name, last name, and email. And I can send you those um, mind maps every single week. So this week, mind map for the purple cow. You'll get that in uh, your email box um, shortly by the end of the week, actually. So you guys, thanks again for listening. Have an awesome week. We'll catch you next week with a brand new book. Take it easy.